Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, would you, to two places. Let's start in Joshua chapter 7, and then eventually we'll land in Acts chapter 5. So Joshua chapter 7 and Acts chapter 5, in a Bible study that I've entitled, Purity, Unity, and Power Returns to the Church. And that's what happens here in Acts chapter 5. Purity, power, and unity come, is restored back to the church. And I don't know if you've noticed this or seen it personally, but nothing slows the church of Jesus Christ down faster. Or let me put it a little bit more personally. Nothing slows you and me down faster than when there's sin in the camp. Have you ever heard that phrase before? Sin in the camp? The idea is that there is something hidden that, that's in our midst that shouldn't be there. Something sinfully hidden. And that's where we are in Joshua chapter 7 by way of introduction today. Joshua has taken over the leadership of the nation of Israel. So I want you to think, when you think of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, I want you to equate them to the church in the New Testament because these are two groups of God followers. These are two groups of men and women that have dedicated their life to worshiping the one true God. So here you have the nation of Israel following Joshua's lead finally into the promised land, exactly as God had predicted. And they come to the city of Jericho, and we know already that Joshua is afraid, he is discouraged, and, and what, what does God tell him in the first chapter? Be strong, be courageous, I'm with you, it's going to be fine. I know you're not Moses, I know you're Joshua, but you're the man of the hour. And so they go in, God gives them that unique way to defeat Jericho, boom, Jericho is taken down. Then they come to the second city, Ai. It's much smaller. And again, I did this, I stu we studied Joshua verse by verse, so if it's something you want to look at in much, much more deeper, much more depth, you, the study's online or on the app. But for us now, they come to the city, it's smaller, and they're really encouraged from their past victory, so they don't pray, they, they just say, you know what, Joshua, you know how to do it, just send these few men, we'll take care of it, not a problem, and we'll have victory. But that's not what happened. Instead of victory, they were soundly defeated. Not only were they soundly defeated, but they lost 36 lives. I mean, think about it. Coming off of Jericho's victory, just like launching in to take the land, they not only lost an AI, but they lost 36 very important people to the nation, which is where we come in verse 6 of chapter 7. In verse 6 of chapter 7, Joshua tore his clothes. He fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their, on their heads. They're mourning, they're, they're grieving, they're, they're praying. Joshua is now desperate, in a desperate place. And so notice what he says in verse 7. Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites? To destroy us? Oh, that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and surround us and cut off 
our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? While it's never too late to pray, seek the Lord, here's an example of Joshua. He should have prayed before the city, not after. I mean, after is great. He's dealing with the consequences of his sin. Once again, what do we find? The wages of sin is death. And here's an example of 36 people suffering for the sin of someone else. And they won't be the first ones to suffer for the sin of someone else. We, if you read the rest of chapter 7, you know that there was a man by the name of Achan that took things into his own hands, and we'll read that in a moment, but Achan and his family pay the price for this particular sin. So they're mourning, they are, Joshua, I mean, Joshua is so defeated and discouraged personally that he wants to go back to the other side of the Jordan. You know what back to the other side of the Jordan is? A life of wandering, a, a, a life of dis, of discouragement, a life of watching all of your family members pass away in the wilderness, being judged, back to a life of judgment, back to a, it, it's, don't ever want to go back, church. Don't ever want to go back to your past life. Don't ever long for, you know, remember um, Lot and his wife, his wife longed for Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't go out, don't ever want, it's good that God delivered you from Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't want to go back. It's good that you're not partying, any, partying anymore. It's good that you're not drunk anymore. It's good that you're not, on, like, like the sister that came up last night, so excited. She wanted to look me in the eye and say, you know what, Pastor, I just want you to know, 28 days sober. I said, that's good. That's good. Don't go back. Don't go back. Because one day you're going to find, as you live day by day for the Lord, that 28 days you're going to look, go back and look at the math and you go, this is 365 days. And you know what 365 days is? That's a year. There's going to come a time in your life walking with the Lord. You're not going to measure in days anymore. You're not going to measure in months anymore. You're going to start measuring in years. And then when you're measuring these things in years, you're going to find you have a whole legacy of transforming change that you brought, that God brought into your life and wants to bring into your family's life. So Joshua's so messed up. He's so discouraged. He's telling God, why did you bring us out here? And he's serious. I think he's super serious about where he's at right now. And so what does God say to him in verse 10? Get up. Again, I developed this in our Bible study, but let me just say for us today, there's a time to pray and there's a time to get up. And it was time for him to get up. It's almost as if God's saying, this is foolishness, Joshua. We're not doing this. You get up and lead those people. It's time to get up and go back into that place, back among your people and my people, and you, none of this foolish talk. Get up and lead. And so what does he say? Get up. Why are you lying on your face? Israel, mark those words, Israel has sinned and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them for they have even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived and they also put it among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies but turn their backs before their enemies because they have become doomed to destruction. That's what sin will do. Neither will I be with you anymore because you destroy the accursed until, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up and sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, verse 13, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there's an accursed thing in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed things from among you. And then he gives instruction on how to deal with it. 
and Achan is revealed. He doesn't come clean until the very end. He and his whole family lose it. Why? Because he stole something from Ai and hid it under his tent. And you say, Ed, what in the world does that have to do with Acts chapter 5? Well, you remember we were introduced to Ananias and Sapphira last time, remember? And what did they do? They lied to the Holy Spirit right there in the church. Barnabas sold that big piece of property. Everybody's, yay, Barnabas, this is so good. This is so inspiring. Everybody's selling things. They decide to sell things too. They were moved, I believe, perhaps, by the Holy Spirit, but then they messed it all up, and they're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to sell our land, but we're only going to give a portion of it to the church, and we're going to keep the other portion, which would have so far so good. It's not a problem. Not a problem. Sell it, keep a portion, give a portion, but here was the problem. But we're going to make believe that we're giving it all. And we, we learned that last time about hypocrisy in the church. It just stops. And even as I'm looking at Joshua today, I think I'm going to develop a message of the effects of, hum- of compromise and sin. Because as I'm just reading it right now, fresh, just reading it again, I didn't see this last night, but today, just reading it fresh, I see at least six or seven things that happened because of their compromise. Not just death, but all of the broken relationship, idolatry. I mean, did you see that word with Joshua? They were doomed to destruction. That's what hypocrisy, you are doomed to destruction. And we see that in Ananias and Sapphira. They lost their lives because they lied. So what's amazing to me, and I do not use that word lightly, amazing, is how fast, come with me to Acts 5 now, how fast sin and hypocrisy how quickly the church was corrupted from within. It makes sense to me, and it probably makes sense to you. It doesn't surprise me that opposition to the church would come from unbelievers. It doesn't surprise me that people would hate the church. It doesn't surprise me that there would be people posting articles and saying things and this about the church and that about the church and the whole horror. The world hates Jesus. So of course, anyone that's loyal to Jesus will face the hatred of those that hate Jesus. I get that. And there's going to be opposition from the outside. There's going to be persecution. Of course, we're, we're to expect that. I was reading even this morning, anyone that desires to live a godly life will suffer. That makes sense. But from within, that doesn't make so much sense. Among the redeemed, among those of us that our lives have been changed, we're not the liars we used to be. And and we're not the drunks we used to be. And we're not the deceivers we used to be. We're not the passive-aggressive people we used to be. The Bible says that we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And for a believer to want to tear down the work of God, for a believer to want to undermine your faith, for a believer, for whatever reason they have, that would want to mix hypocrisy and deceiving and lies, that is amazing to me. To have people walk through even a church like ours with pride and arrogance, their own personal agenda. I can't tell you how many times over the years We've had to deal with people who would come to this church to take advantage of you. They have no desire to worship. They have no desire to have their lives spent for the things of God. They want you. They want to stumble you. They want to draw you after themselves. And on and on the list goes. 
to see people try to destroy through gossip and slander, hypocrisy, lying, deception, all of it is shocking to me. It's amazing to me. It's a lack of appreciation for the things that God has done in your life. It's a, it's a lack of submission. It's a lack of obedience. It's flat out disobedience to want to destroy the church. And so we learn here today of the necessity of the fear of God over and above the fear of man. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. It destroys us. So pick up with me in Acts 5 where we left off. We're going to kind of overlap just a little bit. In verse 11 it says, So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. And through the hands of the apostles many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were with all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And then verse 13 is funny, isn't it? Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. So, you know, it's like, hey, I don't know if I want to be a part of that group because people die there. And, you know, you start, but, but there's a, that, that's kind of a comical way of looking at it, but let me give you a serious way of looking at it. They were really examining their own lives by seeing and hearing what happened with Ananias and Sapphira. Because the very next verse says, many believers... So unbelievers didn't want to join, but then when the unbelievers became believers, then they were increasingly added to the Lord because power and purity and unity was restored. So believers were, verse 14, increasingly added, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even brought the sick out into the streets, and we'll get to that in a little bit. So the fear of God returned to the church. Why? Because God demonstrated his judgment openly. He showed to all those who were watching, to the watching church and to the watching world, that sin would not be tolerated, that it would be revealed, that there is no such thing as hidden sin. If anyone ever asked you that question, was there such thing as hidden sin? The answer is no. Even though you might hide it from me or your person you're sitting next to or like Achan, you might bury it under the tent. you got something buried under your house and it's so well hidden from everyone. It's not. Hidden sin on earth, I think Spurgeon said, is open scandal in heaven. It is not hidden. And if God desires, just like he does with uh, the book, here with Peter giving him a word of knowledge, exercising the discerning of spirits, it'll be revealed before us right now. Or, Jesus said, there's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. Things that are hidden now, Jesus said, will be shouted from the rooftops. And it's just deceptive. You're self-deceived. You are self-deceived if you think today all that you're into is hidden. You're self-deceived if you don't think hidden sin dooms you to some type of destruction and separation from God. You're doomed to, you're you're self-deceived. You're lying to yourself. And you even, you can argue, I know sometimes you don't say it out loud. If everyone said everything they thought out loud, it would be very loud in the room when a Bible study goes forth. That's fine. So I know you're talking in your head. I know you're processing it. I know you're interacting with me. That's a good thing. And some of you interact and you're like, well, you know, Ed, I've got this far. Yeah, but what, what kind of life have you lived? You got this far with hidden sin? Look, look at the level of your life in the Lord. You don't enjoy him. You don't care about him. You don't care about the people in your life. Like what kind of life is, so what do you got away with anyway? What's the point? And I was thinking last night, like it was just, man, I was thinking, it just popped into my mind. I think about the, the plague 
of, of sin in the church today. And, and, and I think of everyone that's just totally into pornography. And, and you know, you might even look at pornography an hour before church. You, you think, you think that's really where God wants you? You, you really think that that's going to get you to a higher level of relationship with Jesus? You really think that, that like, you're self-deceived. That's all that is. You're self-deceived. And, and you are hurting this church because of your hidden sin. Well, I'll go to another church. Well, just spread your hurt everywhere then. Why don't you just repent? Why don't you just offer it on the altar? Why don't you just die to yourself? And give yourself back to your spouse. Give yourself back to the Lord. Like, what is wrong with the pattern of sin in your life? And you're like, man, Ed, wasn't last week Easter? What happened? You upset? You're like, I just think we're in the last days, church. I mean, I'm not just saying it. I've been saying it for 22 years. But man, do you not see how close we are to the coming of the Lord? Do you not care? Okay, so amen. Now, do you care? Do, do you, is it, like, like, like we're, we, we, are, we believe the Bible, right? So, like, when I say the Bible teaches a one-world government, don't you see it yet? When I say that the Bible teaches a one-world currency, don't you see it yet? A, a one-world religion that's intertwined with the government, can't you see it? Can't you see the, the appointment of throughout history, God using ungodly leaders of the world to move his people? Don't you see? Do you know the very movement of Jesus to be in the right place, fulfilling prophecy, came at the dictate of an unbelieving ruler, a murderer? Can't you see? And I think that the church in many ways, yeah, I see, I follow this guy on YouTube and I know prophecy. Okay, so then, so then what is it doing to your life? So... Are you asking yourself the question, what manner of persons ought I to be in light of all the coming of the Lord? Have you asked that question lately? Have you, have you said, Lord, I see the day coming? You know, what's happening is much of the church today is trying to fight against the will of God. Oh, we've got to change everything, and we can't believe it, and what's happening? My whole comfort's being disrupted, and let's fight. Well, you're fighting the hand of God. He's going to fulfill prophecy, whether you like it or not. The end of the world is upon us. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. But there is a lot you can do to cooperate with the will of God. There is a lot for you to do that would matter eternally. And what's eternal? The word of God will never pass away. And the souls of men. And that's the singular purpose for your life and mine. To be about those things eternal the righteousness of Christ, the kingdom of God. And hypocrisy and lies, maybe it's not pornography, but men and women are both into it. It's in our pockets. It's available in the instant. And, and guys and gals, it's just like, they're involved, they're just involved, it's like, it's no big deal, no big deal. I can't help it. What do you mean you can't help it? Why don't you rob banks then? Why don't you go rob a bank? Now please don't rob a bank and blame me at the court, but... I'm making a point here. I'll tell you why you don't rob banks, because you've assessed the whole thing, and you just come to the conclusion, I don't want to rob a bank. Well, good for you. So why don't you do the same for internet pornography? Why don't you just like, I don't want the consequences, I don't want to hurt my spouse, I don't want to hurt the church, so I choose not to in the power of Jesus. Why don't you do that? Oh, I'd go back to banks, that one's a little easier. I don't want to rob banks. Right, because in the whole, like, Here's the thing, whatever sin it is, it, set a pornography aside, although 
you know, because God brought it up, it's not in my notes, because God brought it up, it's all, it's shooting hearts all over the place and out on the radio. So that's good. Let the Lord do what he wants to do in your life. But maybe it's not, maybe it's gossip. You're such a gossip. Gossip's so prevalent now that when I do an interview for anyone coming on staff, part of my question is, if I asked your friends if you were a gossip, what would they say? That's how important it is because we can't have, we can't have gossips on staff here. It'll destroy the church. Anybody amen to that? Well, you guys that are gossiping, you're destroying the church right now. I love it because I can get you to amen, and while your mouth is open, the Holy Spirit going, that's you. <laughs> it's you. I know it's heavy. I told you it would be heavy, but, but I think that the heaviness is so that God's preparing us. This isn't a Calvary church thing. This is happening in the book of Acts, first century. And it's not okay for you to go around slandering and gossiping either. And it's not okay for you to be deceptive. And it's not okay for you to lie to your brother. And it's not okay for you to be a thief. And it's not okay for you to dabble in things and think it's hidden. Because this is, you either have the fear of God or the fear of man. And you want the fear of God. It's been restored to the church. And people are getting saved again. And there's unity as they come together in Solomon's porch in chapter 5. And, and it's back to a place where the open door of proclamation is available for the word of God. Because I believe one of the things contributing to the weakness of the church today and the prevalence of hidden sin is that churches are unwilling to talk about it. I know it's uncomfortable. I, I know it's uncomfortable. I get it. But if, if we don't talk about the truth in our lives, if we don't teach the Bible, if we don't let Acts chapter 5 speak to us, then what's the point of gathering? We need times where God says, I don't, you know, it's easy for us to go, oh, poor Ananias and Sapphira, oh, the church is so messed up, oh, you know, I'm glad God dealt with them. But, but if you can come to that conclusion, then you have to understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still dealing with it. Well, you know, Ed, I don't see people dropping uh, like flies. I'm glad he doesn't deal with us like that because we would all drop like flies, right? There'd be a whole new batch of people dropping every week as things are revealed. So God is dealing with things in a very gracious way However, as we learned last time, there's a lot of death that comes from the sin that's in this room. And I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about necessarily all the regular stuff and regular life and stumble here and difficult here. What I'm referring to and what's happening is deliberate, premeditated, unconfessed, unrepentant sin that you think is hidden, that nobody knows. And so as we come, I think what the church needs today, and I mean our church, this is what we're committed to, but the church at large needs consistent, solid, biblical teaching. Because that's what's going to turn over the tables in our hearts. That's what's going to till the ground of our hearts. That's what's going to put a mirror up to us and, and get us looking at ourselves in him. And, and our time, listen, if you're, especially if you're new to this church, you're new to the radio program, listen, our time in God's word is not some big, happy self-help session so that you can learn from the Bible how to better handle your family and better handle your finances 
and, and how to control your emotions and, and how to watch the R-rated movies and find some little spiritual thing in there so that you can go to the movies and go, oh, I can find the spiritual thing in the, between the nudity and the cussing and everything. Oh, there's a little nugget of Bible truth. That's not what the church and the proclamation of the gospel is for. Although, if you need help with your finances, I know where the scriptures are to help you. If you need wisdom on how to run your family, I can show you in the Bible. You need help as a single, there's great passages in the scripture. You know, that, that even thinking about this idea of counseling, we live in a culture that, that the answer to everything is counseling. But you know, it's not that way in the church. I don't even like the term counseling. If you sit down with one of us, pastors, and you sit down, I don't even like the word counseling. Even though we do use it interchangeably, it's not like I've completely changed the habits. But I, this is the word I like better. I like discipleship. Like, I don't, I don't want to counsel you. I want to disciple you, teach you how to follow Christ. I don't want you to set up a thousand different sessions so that you can sit and say, now my whole life is counseling. I want you, I want you to learn how to follow Christ. I don't even, I don't even, I, I don't know how to fix your marriage. I have no idea. I don't live with you. I, I don't know how you were raised. I don't know how to fix your marriage. I don't know how to fix your financial situation. I don't know. I have no idea how to help you as a parent. And what's happening with the uniqueness of your kids? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about your emotions. I don't even know what it is about my emotions most of the time. But I do know this. Jesus Christ died to save you. And if you learn to follow him, he will give you the wisdom you need in every area of your life. I know that. I know that to be a fact. I know that if you commit yourself to following Christ, he will lead you, guide you, and help you in life. I know it like I know it because I've lived it for many, many years. The rescuing, saving, redeeming power of Jesus. Listen, don't misunderstand me. I'm speaking with some great authority here today. I'm not, I, I am I know that there are complexities that would be helpful through counseling. I'm not opposed to that concept at all. Or those that might be gifted and trained to go a little bit longer and farther. But for most of us, it's a discipleship issue. And you know, you, sometimes people will even say, well, I need to meet with Pastor Ed. I need to be, meet with Pastor Ed because he's just the one that can fix me. <laughs> like, you probably don't want to meet with me. You probably don't want to experience my gifting because God uses me in gifting. He, he helps me spiritually to get to the root of the matter very quickly. And people don't like that. They'd rather talk for hours and hours about everything, of all the reasons and all the situations when many times, just like Peter, we can get to the root of the issue and then give very direct, specific information on how to get out of it. And then people leave mad. And then they won't make the second appointment. And if you do make the second appointment, then we'll say, well, did you do what I told you in the first appointment? No. Then what makes you think anything's gonna change the second one? If you won't do what you were told the first time, Telling you again, you would, here's the second appointment, go do what we told you in the first one, then call me. Then call me. Then call us. You can see the gravity of the day that we're living in because if you would just open the Bible and read it every day, you'd be a lot farther than you are right now because then the Holy Spirit would just minister to your heart even before you go to work. If you would just stop and pray and ask God, 
Do you know if you're lacking wisdom right now, the Bible says that if any of us lack wisdom, that we can ask God and he will give it to us. And we can walk in his wisdom, not some pastor's wisdom. Because we're living in a culture right now, too. You're, You're in a culture right now where pastoral ministry, in many ways, the attention, the spotlight is not on the thousands of faithful pastors throughout our community. The spotlight is on what they now call celebrity pastors. What nonsense is a celebrity pastor? It doesn't even make sense. The word celebrity means someone that's famous. And let me just tell you right now, there is no one more famous in the church than Jesus Christ himself. This idea that a pastor can be a celebrity, no. No, we are all a part of the body of Christ. God uses all of us equally. There's no celebrity pastor. Don't even fall for it. Don't follow somebody because they're so famous. If somebody thinks they're more famous than Jesus... Stand back. The church is not about the pastor or about you or about me as a follower of Christ. The church belongs to Jesus. And if you get any prominence or anything, lights are on you, you better be careful. Because I'll tell you what, they're just lights, just illuminating the stage. They don't mean anything. And you could get the applause of men one moment and be stabbed in the back the next. <laughs> and even sometimes people will hug you and stab you while they're hugging you. It's the body of Christ. We've come to serve. We don't need self-help. You need to die to yourself. And so don't use the Bible that way. This therapeutic culture we're in right now. The therapy that you need, again, I know that some of you are in deep situations. I'm not speaking to that. I'm speaking to the everyday issues. I'm speaking to the hidden sin. I'm speaking to the therapy that you need is to submit yourself to Jesus Christ and to come clean with your life. And we need the Bible taught simply, directly, so that when we gather together, we gather together in commitment to Christ and to surrender, opening ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit opening ourselves to the God-breathed word, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's not merely a book written by man, but it is a book that God has given to us for life change. And you see in, the, in this little section here, not only is there purity, not only is there po- power, not only is there salvation, but pick up in verse 15, there's this dynamic supernatural happening So they brought the sick out into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. And a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. And so there was the supernatural happening. Why? Because power and purity was brought back, because there was a cleanliness in the church. There was a, not a perfection, so they didn't, the church wasn't perfected, It was cleansed. And the same thing will happen in your life. When you come clean before God, you'll immediately experience the power of God. You will immediately enjoy the purity of God. And you will see the supernatural in your life. A lot of times people will go, I read the book of Acts and I don't see the supernatural. I don't see these healings. I don't see. And and one one of the answers has to be to that statement is, one of the answers has to be, are you, do you have any hidden sin in your life? Because hidden sin obviously blocks the supernatural. (laughs) 
It blocks the work of the Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It puts you back on the plane of the flesh, and no good thing comes from the flesh. There's no good thing, the Bible says, comes from our flesh. And so it's, you know, this is, this is supernatural, this is unique, that God, you know, even in the, in the healing, you remember we have a shadow being used here, later on it's going to be handkerchiefs, uh, sweat, chip, sweat bands of Paul will be used as a point of contact, this shadow is a point of contact, laying on of hands is a point of contact, anointing of oil in the Bible, it all uses point of contacts, but I want to be clear with you church, Oil doesn't heal, shadows don't heal, handkerchiefs, sweatshirts, none of that heals. Oil, none of that heals. Only God is the sovereign healer. Only God. But you know, when the Spirit of God's moving among us, we start to anticipate and we're excited about the work of God. And when you're excited about the work of God, you see it more. You want to know why? Because you always find what you're looking for. Well, not always, but you find, most of the time, you find what you're looking for. Like, like if you're looking for good in someone, you're going to find it. If you're looking for bad in someone, you're going to find it. If you're looking for the supernatural, God will lead you right to where he's working, right to where he's doing. And it may be, it may be something radical like shadows, but it also might be something mundane like discipleship, like steady progress, like obedience, like micro changes, not just macro changes in someone's life. So purity is important, church. Systematic teaching of the Bible is important. Approaching the Bible not from a self-help perspective, but from a dying to self perspective is very important. Praying for your church is very important. Praying for the pastors and the leaders here. I, I remember back in California, I was a brand new believer. I knew nothing about the Bible. Walk coming to church, just like you, worshiping, taking notes, reading the Bible, listening to my pastor, learning every week. It was amazing. Uh, it was a Wednesday night service. I remember it like it was yesterday. Back then when I was a new believer in 1991, Wednesday night service, our church had a sanctuary of about 3,500 people. That's how much it could fit. Uh, so it's about three times as much as this one. And it was on Wednesday night, it was standing room only in that room. I'd never seen anything like it. It was the beginning of the Gulf War. Everybody's afraid. People are flocking back to church. Everybody's worshiping. It was, a, it was an, an amazing time. It's the season I got saved in. And then there was one Wednesday service sometime that year where Pastor Jeff came out and he says, okay, church, uh, you know, kind of like I do with announcements, okay, church, uh, we're coming together and uh, we have, uh, we're going to have a typical service. But if this is your church home, at the end of our time together, we have some church business so if you would like to stay afterwards um, for that church business, I just want to let you know. And so I'm like, well, church business, I don't know anything about that, but this is my church, so I probably should sit through it. And so as the end of the service came, you know, a lot of people left, a lot of people stayed, and it was church business. And I remember Pastor Jeff came up on the stage by himself. The worship team had left. He came up on a stage by himself. And then to his right was the assistant pastor, one of the assistant pastors. And that assistant pastor then went on to confess an adulterous relationship that he was having with one of the secretaries in the church. And Pastor Jeff opened up the Bible and he told us what was happening, that the Bible says that a person in that condition uh, that was unrepentant, unconfessed up to this point needed to confess to the church. And you know the Bible says he confesses to the church. Why? So that the church would fear and what we were witnessing was church discipline that night. I didn't know anything. 
about anything. I was listening, taking notes. I didn't know anything. I knew, knew the brother. I was getting to know him, uh, you know, just learning the pastors of the church. And it was just like, it was hard. It was a hard night. Pastor Jeff was tearing up. This brother's tearing up. And, and he was removed from his position because of his sin. And the woman he was with was fired from his, her position because of his sin. And lives were wrecked. And it was a hor- horrible, horrible evening. And I remember, again, if I knew these things would be sermon illustrations later, I would have taken better notes. But my memory, it's embedded in my memory. I remember leaving the church that night, not really understanding what was happening, except I had this conclusion. This church is serious about sin. I remember it. Over the 22 years that we've been here, we've had to do this a couple times ourselves. It's always painful. But I did not wake up asking for it. I can tell you right now, as a leader in the church, I care more about the glory of God than the opinion of man. I, I care more about leading you in the ways of righteousness than I do about any opinions that you may have of me or the Bible or the church because opinions change. God's word doesn't change. And I'll tell you, I don't wake up in the morning thinking, you know, I wonder who's going to get in trouble today. I wonder who's going to confess their sin. I wonder what pastor's been lying I absolutely never in a million years wake up that way. I'm not ready. Who, who can I, how can I shake up this and how can I, but there have been seasons. I mean, even one particular brother came directly to my house to knock on the door. I remember it because I was on the treadmill. It was a day off. I was on my treadmill sweating downstairs and the knock on the door so that a pastor would come into my front room and confess his years of sin right there in my home. And it breaks my heart as much as it breaks your heart. And my prayer is for purity and power to be in our church. Not perfection. Notice I wasn't in my title. Power, purity, and perfection is... No, we all stumble and fall. We all fail. We all have mistakes. But how you choose to deal with it is super important. It can make things better or worse. And like the church I came from, I believe we're a part of the larger, broader church, capital C. We also take sin seriously under the banner of grace and mercy. Because a confession like that on the stage, if necessary, from a person that has served the whole church, a confession like that is not to destroy a person. It's not to shame a person. It's to give freedom and release for them that they're clean now. Nothing is hidden in their life. So the brother, you might wonder, what happened to the brother? God saved his marriage. God restored him back into a position of ministry over a couple years. It it was a beautiful thing when you, he didn't run away. I've seen that multiple times. I'm just going to run away because it's embarrassing when your sin is found out. The enemy loves to beat people up over their sin. But the atmosphere of this church is not like that. You're not going to walk around, oh, I remember your sin, oh, I remember your sin, I remember your sin. That's not the atmosphere of this church. The atmosphere is, you know what? God is with you. And it's not hidden anymore. We don't have to mess around. It's not hidden. You want to see shadows heal people? I do. Wouldn't that be cool? Can you see, a, can you see the Instagram story on that? Like people are walking in the shadow of somebody and they're healed. I don't know what God desires to do supernaturally in these last days, but I do know this. He's working on the purity of his church. Your heart and mine. 
that we might come clean before him, walk in an upright manner, knowing that God wants to move in power among us. So Father, as we settle our hearts for this time of communion and reflection, not an easy message to sit through, I'm sure, and it doesn't really matter what sin is hidden or what it is, I know that it's hard. And it's wrecking our church because we love the men and women that call Calvary home. We love their families and their kiddos. And you know, I think of the kids. They just want to grow up and enjoy life to the fullest. And I think there's a sense where the kids expect us as parents to live upright lives, expects the leadership of the church to live upright lives, abiding in you, Jesus. And so help us as we remember your goodness and the greatness of your power. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.